Praise God. Wow. Just such a richness in his presence. I just hit a place in my life. I used to hear old timers that I grew up listening to preach in church and they would hit about 60 and they would start saying things like this. I'm too old to play games. And I'm in my 30s and I'm like, I'm too old to play games. If God's presence isn't there, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. If ever I'm teaching and his presence isn't there, y'all come pull me off the stage and y'all find somebody else, okay? Uh, it's all about him. It's all about his presence. That's the difference. That's what changes things. And when God draws us into his presence, he, he's so inviting, he's so open for us to come in and to move in our lives. God is more willing than we are to receive him. If you can wrap your head around that, you'll press in in a way that you've never pressed in before in your entire life. But he is more willing to do a work and to meet with you than you are to meet with him. Is that there's a willingness in the heart of God to begin to spend time with us so that we might pull into deeper relationship with him so that we might have deeper identity. I think God wants to change the way we view the blessing of God and the presence of God. Because we have a tendency with our mindset sometimes to think that sin is more powerful than grace. Or that the world is more powerful than the power of God. When God begins to call in a people unto himself, he wants them to grasp a hold of the power of his blessing and the power of what it is to be in the family of God. There's a reason why it says in the generational message that God gives to the people of God in the Old Testament that the generational curses go to the third and fourth generations. And we tend to stop there and live there. But there's another statement God makes, that the blessing of God goes on to 10,000 generations. So you've got 10,000 reasons to bless God right now because the generational blessing that God puts on is stronger than the generational cursing. That God is looking to call people into his circle to bring them into his family line so that he can do great exploits through them in the earth. That they might be a signpost in the earth that God still is alive and he still do, does things. It's not enough that God has been resurrected and ascended into heaven. That's an awesome fact. But if the resurrection power doesn't set up in your life, then what are we doing? How will the world see the resurrection power of God if it doesn't take residence in me and begin to operate into me? If the glory of God is not on my face, then how in the world can I introduce them to the Father and am I adequately being a son or a daughter if the glory of God isn't on my life? And the reason that we are at where we are at is because we are okay with being where we are at. 
And that's a hard truth. Don't you hate it when you just like, you're as close to God as you want to be? Oh, don't tell me that. That puts it all on me. Well, it's like, well, yeah. (laughs) Because if God's heart is willing and for you, then there's got to be something in between our end that we're not engaging in to bring us into a relationship with him. So God is putting the responsibility back on us, but not in a way that should burden us or make us feel less than, but that we would see it like an invitation into the greatest banquet that you've ever been to. That the responsibility God gives you robs you of your excuses, yes, but it also empowers you to take steps towards God where maybe you've been afraid to in the past. I hear people talk about this all the time with me because you know me, you better not tell me something, I'll have you get up on stage and tell everybody. (laughs) You better be careful. (laughs) Mona (laughs) Natalie. In a week's time. (laughs) Why? Because... My life is an invitation for you to step into your destiny and your purpose. My life isn't an invitation where you get to cheer me along along the way. Okay? My life is an invitation of what God wants to do in you. And not that you'd be exactly like me. I don't need a bunch of me's running around. Hmm. Right? Come on. We don't need that. But what we do need is people stepping out in their unique callings and destinies so that we can touch the city with the glory of God and the gospel. If it's about filling up this building to reach the city, we're already out of room. But what happens if instead of we call this church, you become the church, you become the meeting place of God, you become the one in which God dwells, and then there's no limits to where you can go and who you can touch. That's why you must get healed from your hurts and from your inadequacies and get released from that because all your inadequacies are informing you is that you're not capable. And you know what happens when that happens to me? I say, yeah, you're right, but God said. But God said, right? And so um, don't let those inadequacies lie to you and make you feel like you can't step out and do what God's called you to do. I mean, because I've been in this in a while, so something that seems like pretty easy to me can seem daunting for other people. And when we get up here, we have our, it started out with our deacons, and we get up here in a huddle, y'all have seen us, and anybody's invited into that, matter of fact, you know, uh, but we get in a huddle and we pray, you know, and if you just root yourself in there, you know, you can get in there too. Um, but we're all praying. I'm not, you don't, if you, don't, you don't have to do that just because I said that. But, but we get in here and we get in a huddle and we want to make a statement to the principalities and powers and to the church that we're unified up here. We're unified up here. But the leadership is unified up here. And, and we're all on the same page. But a friend of mine just said, man, I just don't even feel adequate being up here praying with y'all. And I'm like, you need to tell the devil to shut up. (laughs) Because you're no less of a son than I am. 
So see, when we don't come into the understanding of who we are as sons, we won't step out into the things that God's called us, even the simple things. Because we'll look through everything through a lens of who's better or who's worse or who's right, who's wrong. And we'll look in all these different lenses and we'll miss out on the invitation that everything is an invitation for you to come into and be a part of the thing that God is doing in the earth. So he's the God of the circles. Wow. Okay. He's the God of the circles. Um, so he's calling us into his circle. Wow. He's calling us into his circle. Calling us out of our circle and into his circle. Um, so we tend to get this view when we hear of circles of what goes around, comes around. Right? <laughs> You've heard it. And that's always mentioned with a negative connotation, right? Uh, but God wants to switch that up. And he wants to say, yeah, but what if you get caught in a good cycle? Yeah, what if you get caught in a really sweet cycle of the glory and blessing of God and that thing keeps going for generation and generation and a generation and a generation and generation and generation. And what if that circle keeps happening for 10,000 generations? See, we've got to change the way we view. We empower the devil all the time to have all this authority, but then like the God who's the king of the universe ain't got no power. He don't even have enough power to put a smile on my face. So we walk around looking like we're taking shots of lemon juice trying to tell the world how good God is. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I'm not telling you to fake it till you make it either because that's pretty terrible. I'm telling you to step into real relationship with God and find the joy that God offers you. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. It's God saying, come on in. The water's fine. Get on in and what God's doing in the earth. The good news of the kingdom is anyone at any time can be involved in what God is doing in the earth. That is the good news. You get to be a part of what God's doing. You're a part of the redemptive plan of God. There's even a scripture that says, hasten the day of the Lord. Could we speed up the coming of the Lord? Hmm. I don't know. We'll have to wrestle with that one. But I'm just telling you that God has given us more authority and given us a good kind of responsibility to engage with him and to enter into the life that is his life. And so he wants to pull us into his circle. And uh, I like what Chris Valton says. He says, uh, you know, we always talk about new levels, new devils. Uh, but he says it like this. What about new levels, new angels? As if, if you aspire to go further with God, there's not a protection or covering over you to do that. You see how our, we've got to change our mindsets. And it's because we don't believe God is for us and we got this big bad devil and this little bitty God who just barely works things out for our good. Sometimes maybe, could, maybe not. And we've got to change our mindsets and we've got to start viewing God in the glory and the splendor and the majesty that is his name. I love that when God gives people a glimpse of his glory, it's always to empower them into their destiny and what, they've, what he's called them to do. He shows Isaiah a picture of the throne 
throne. That wasn't so that Isaiah would stay in obscurity and not do anything. Because when Isaiah saw the throne, what did he say? Who are we going to send? Here I am! God, God, here, 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 here! I'll go! I'll go! You're glorious, God! I'll go! We're always trying to stay somewhere. God shows Peter, Peter, James, and John, the inner circle. They see him in his parousia, in the glory of his second coming. One gospel author said his clothes were white and shiny. (laughs) They see him in the glory of his second coming, and he's meeting with Moses and Elijah. What a moment to be a part But do you know what they say? Let's build three tents and we'll camp out right here. Woohoo! And we'll plant a church and it'll be called the First Assembly of Three Tabernacles. And God's like, you guys are never going to get it. Okay, let's come down the mountain and let's go touch some folk. But I want to tell you something. When you've really had an encounter with God, people won't be able to tell you no. Because when you've tasted and seen that God is good, you don't need somebody else to tell you to raise your hands every five seconds. You don't need somebody else to lead you into worship. Matter of fact, you're going to just jump into the presence right off because you've already encountered and know that God is good. So this is the place where God will be calling us to engage with him from this place. And so he's calling us out of our circle and into his circle. Yeah. Out of our circle. So what's the deal with these circles? Well, I got a few scriptures here. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 22. He is the one who sits on the earth's horizon, or most versions will say this. He is the one who sits on the circle of the earth. And its its inhabitants are like grasshoppers before him. He is the one who stretches out the sky like a thin curtain and spreads it out like a pitched tent. Proverbs 8, 27. When he established the heavens, I was there when he marked out the horizon. The Hebrew there is, or to engrave a circle over the face of the deep. Job even gets a little inside in Job 26, verse 10. He says he marks out the horizon or he marks out a circle on the surface of the waters as a boundary between light and darkness. That a circle that God is making, that he's engraving out, is a boundary in which he is defining the place where he wants relationship and authority in his life. And to call us into that reality. So when God created the earth, the Bible says that he drew a circle. 
He marked out the horizon as a circle. And you know what a circle is? A circle is a picture of a covenant. Something that never, ever ends. So when God draws a circle in the earth, what he's doing is, is he's drawing a covenant for us to come into and experience relationship with him. That everywhere he draws that circle is a boundary with the possibility of relationship with him. And everywhere he's drawn that circle, there's not one place inside that circle that is not subject to his authority. That's some good news. So you say, I'm stuck in my circle. Yeah, but there's a whole circle around that where the sovereignty and power of God has come into covenant with this earth where he sent his son to pull you out of one circle and into another. So what I've seen is, is God will take us from this outer circle and there'll be different decisions that are pivotal crossroads in our life to bring us into the next circle. And each circle is leading us closer and closer to him. So while we're all in our individual circles, we have to take authority in our circles in order to make it into the next circle as God is calling us into It's kind of like this, and and when the people of God come up out of Egypt, there's like, if you could look down, if you could just get the lens of God for a moment, and they take, God takes them to a mountain called Horeb, or Mount Sinai. And in this mountain, I want you to kind of view some rings here, and each ring is leading to the top of an encounter with God. The first ring is at the bottom of the mountain. And if you remember, at the bottom of the mountain, the people of God had to prepare themselves to hear God, that they were going to have this encounter with him in this powerful moment with God where God was going to speak to the people. But do you know what happened at the bottom of the mountain when God started speaking? Moses was at peace and was enjoying the voice of God. And the people were scared and couldn't even interpret the voice of God, okay? Couldn't even understand the voice of God or interpret it. So the people around the mountain were in the farthest ring. So we'll just say the Lord of the rings, okay? Just go with it, okay? So in the farthest ring, they're saying, I don't want to hear, send Moses, Moses, you talk to us because we don't want to hear something like this. We can't interpret this. We can't understand this. This is too hard to handle. We'd rather a person just tell me about what God says so that we could get on with our life down here on the mountain. The depth of my relationship is a man telling me what I ought to be doing and how I ought to be doing it. And you speak for God and I'm good with that. And then I can go on and do my little stuff down here on the bottom of the mountain. And then there's another ring. I believe it's in Exodus 24 where God calls up 70 elders. And God shows up on top of the mountain. And they see God's feet. 
And he's like walking on like, I think it says like sapphire. It's like a precious stone. Like it's just this glorious moment. And so they've come up a mountain a little bit, but they're content to be there and just to see God's feet. Just to see a little activity, some miraculous. We're content to be here. We have our little place of authority because we've, we've taken a step up from the crowd. But, but we're content to be here at the feet. But then there was another ring where only two went up. Where Moses and Joshua go up to another level. And in this level, they begin to get close enough where they can hear the voice of God for themselves. Now it doesn't sound so much like thunder and lightning. It sounds like a voice. I think it's not an odd parallel that when Jesus is baptized and the Father's voice speaks down and says, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased that the Gospels indicate in one of the Gospels that it, some of them just thought it was thunder. In other words, the voice of God sounds like an interruption or just a bunch of noise if the relationship and intimacy isn't there to interpret it. Okay? And so God is calling us out of the place where that's what people say, man, come to church, it's just a bunch of noise. Well, you don't have the intimacy to interpret the thing that God's saying. That's like why I can preach and somebody will pull me aside and say, that blessed me. And they'll tell me a point I didn't even go over. And I'm like, praise God, he knows everything. <laughs> what happened? There was a voice coming out, but the, what God was speaking to them overrode even my words. And because of their level of relationship, they were able to interpret something that I was saying that wasn't even something I was saying. That's why we can all sit under here, heard the same thing, and all walk out with something different. And it'll all be dependent upon the level of our relationship with Him. But then there was another place. In this place, only Moses was brave enough to go. And this was the place where the Bible says God talked to Moses through a cloud, face to face. Oh. Identify what ring you're in and make whatever necessary decision you've got to make to go to the next place. Because the blessing of God is this, and it was said in the song, this is the Arionic blessing, what they spoke over the, the people of God, Israel. They spoke this over them. May he keep you, bless you, keep you, and may his face shine upon you. That being blessed by God is not having stuff. It's living a life to where he is face to face with me in relationship. That that is the place of the blessed life. You, you want to be blessed? Don't show me what you got. I want to see your face glowing. Because you've been in the presence of God and you're exuding the glory of God, the presence of God, and the aroma of God is all over you. I like to smoke meat, okay? And when I do it, my wife says, you stink. <laughs> my girls weren't feeling good. Hey, honey, love you, babe. 
I'm going to check those notes, make sure you watched. Okay. <laughs> Kevin, can you confirm that my wife is on the stream today? Uh, just kidding. But she says, you stink. I say, well, I've been smoking meat, so I've been in the smoke. There's nothing I could do to hide when I've been in the smoke. There's nothing that I can do to hide it. I've tried it before. I've tried to hide. Have you ever just tried to blend in in a crowd? Maybe you're somewhere where you shouldn't be. Or maybe you're somewhere where you should be. But you just don't want to talk. You just don't want to make a little ruckus. And so, so you just try to ease in somewhere. And every time somebody will come up and say, Who are you and what do you do? So now I've gotten ahead of it. I ask them who they are and what they do first. But when you've been in the presence of God, there's a residual residue that is undeniable and people are drawn to it. It's like fresh break, fresh, how can I say this? Fresh baked bread. Yeah. Yeah. Who doesn't like the smell of fresh baked bread? You don't even have to advertise it. It's just on you. It's just on you. And so Moses comes down and the people are in such a state that he's got to veil his face. That they can't even stomach looking at him. And it kind of leads me to something that if we can't stand to look at people whom the glory of God is on, there's something about the glory that's on their face that reveals my responsibility that I should have the glory on, on my face too. And the only way to do that, to enter into a different place, is for me to say, yeah, I want that too. Or for me to say, that's wrong for them to do that, and me to create ideas that keep me from entering into the life that's on them. It happens all the time. Lady comes in, has a life savings of perfume, <laughs> anointing. She breaks it in one moment. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> ah, breaks it in one moment. And then says, you hadn't seen the half of it. And she gets down and begins to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. Wash them with her tears. Oh, man. I said, what are you doing? What a waste. Could have been given to the poor. What a waste. See, when you haven't encountered God, you'll misinterpret expressions that are meant to give him the honor that he deserves. 
And the church has just walked around to create this seeker-friendly thing where nobody gets their feelings hurt and everybody has feel-good doodads all the time. So we've all veiled our face and we've hit them from the one thing that can change their life, the glory of God. The glory of God, the presence of God. We try to put everything in a capsule form where we can stomach it. And our, soul, our souls have shrunk up to the size of a TV sitcom. You ever heard anybody say, man, I just watched too much Netflix and that was boring. But then go over 12 o'clock and see what the saints of God start telling you. Eat breakfast if you get hungry at noon. Thank you for those good amens. I guess you got lunch plans. Okay, let's hurry up. I'm just saying, we don't, we don't look at these things and examine them and say, why am I so bored here but so happy here? We don't examine these kind of things and we don't look at them or interpret them the correct way. And what happens is we're the worst for it. We're the worst for it. Because we don't analyze these things. And we go on staying in our little concentric ring of cycle and it becomes so comfortable to us, there's no way we could move out of it because we don't want to. But if we don't move up, you're you're not going to get to see the face of God, man. And what Jesus calls us into in his relationship with us is I want to have a face-to-face with you. And we've been content with a text message relationship. Huh? Hey, God. Sup? Hmm. And have you ever just gotten so tired of that that you said, I'm going to call you? Because some answers can't be defined in a small space. Because when we live that kind of way, you can't even hear the tone that's in it. You ever got offended over a text message and the somebody didn't mean nothing about it? You just read it the wrong way? Because what we do is we presume onto the text our own tone and then interpret it based on the tone that we read it with. When in reality, it was probably autocorrect and they're really calling us into a deeper relationship with them. But when we live in that kind of way, we're content to read our own tone unto God. So we read the Bible that way. We read everything that way. We read our devotionals that way. And all we are is applying our own tone to the scripture. And we're not hearing the tone in the heartbeat of God. Yeah. So God is calling us into face-to-face conversations with him. Because I can hide behind superficial and surface level things. But I can't hide when I get in his presence and I see his face. 
So God's calling us to that place. Uh, I think it's cool how Joshua marched a circle around Jericho. (laughs) The spies go into the land for 40 days to spy out the land. And two of the 12 spies come back with a good report. Oh, dude, we got these guys right where we want them. You should see these grapes that they have. The grapes are huge over here. It's flowing with milk and honey. Oh, man. That sounds like cereal or something, man. Something good. (laughs) Honey Nut Cheerios is going down with some banana sliced up in there. Side of grapes. Glass of milk. I don't know. Something's going on here that's awesome. That they see the treasure... And believe the promise that God is giving them into. And the others can only see the giants. But they didn't just see the giants. The Bible says that we were as grasshoppers in our own sight. So it was how they saw themselves, not how they saw the giants, that hindered them from stepping into the thing that God was having them to do. So God says, okay, we can't come to agreement on this. The 40 days that you spent spying out the land that I was giving you strategy so that you could come back with a report to say how awesome it is, you come back with a, with a report about how negative everything is. So I'll tell you what you can do. Each day you spent over there in the promised land and got to see what I was giving you, you're going to have to spend, that day will equal a year in the wilderness, and you'll have to spend 40 days over here until you work out that I'm good enough and strong enough to give you what I've called you into. So that 40-year period runs out. And it's time to step into and begin to take territory. And so here comes Joshua. And when God sends him in there, he gives him a battle plan. You ready? Don't say nothing. (laughs) Don't talk yourself out of what I'm trying to give you. I just need you to shut up, okay? (laughs) Last time we talked, it didn't go good. And i got to make my name great in, my, in the earth, and you're the people that I'm trying to do it through, so I just need you to just stop. Don't say nothing. And I need you to circle this city so that when you circle this city, everything within this circle is territory that I'm giving you. Come on. Come on. And so I don't know what's more miraculous The fact that the walls come down or that the people of God could shut up for seven days. Come on. Say, go on the all the earth and preach the gospel, not go on the earth and tell everybody's business. You know what I'm saying? So they, God brought them out of their old mindset in a 40-year circle of around and around in the desert and brings them into his circle and says, this is what my circle looks like. It looks like victory. It looks like territory. It looks like treasure. It looks like one victories. But I need you to not talk yourself out of the thing that I'm trying to bring you into. Come on. 
Don't talk yourself out of the thing that God is trying to bring yourself into. Because if you keep bringing back negative reports about the thing that God's doing, he might give you over to a 40-year wilderness period where you have to work out those things in your heart and things have to die in a painful process so that he can bring you back into the thing that he's called you to do. So begin to ascertain what season that you are in in your life right now. Begin to ascertain that because God's not judging you for the season that you're in. He's judging you for how you're living out the season that you're in. Um, I don't go out in the wintertime and get mad at a fruit tree for not producing fruit. So dumb tree, it's broke. It's like, no, dude, it's below freezing. It's in dormant mode trying to survive so that when the next season comes, fruit can be produced. Quit judging people according to the season that they're in in their life. They're in a cycle. Just like all of us are in a cycle. We're in a circle. But the key is, is to interpret the season that God has us in and to not go against it. Because when we're in God's circle, we've got to go with the process that he says to go with. So if you're in a wilderness process and you feel like you're getting stripped of everything, don't make it worse and be more rebellious because you don't like the results. Let me tell you what you do. Do this right here. If you're in the wilderness, do this. Because his ways are higher than your ways. You don't have the intellect to process and work out what he's doing in your heart. Just stop and just enter into some worship. Say, God, if you're doing something I can't see, which he is, and I'm going to trust that process, and I'm just going to walk this thing out. And when you get ready to pull me out, God, pull me out. So see, I'm interpreting what season I'm in. I'm in the wilderness. Well, the wilderness is a testing period for me to show that I'm faithful without the felt presence and blessings of God. Because if you can't be faithful without the felt presence of God, he can't send his spirit in new measures and have you walk in a new power because he won't be able to trust you with it. That's where the rubber really meets the road. Man, when I'm in a season of the presence of God's on me and there's overflow, I'm just like, woo. But how do I act when he begins to dry up some things and turn the faucet off? When the ravens quit coming and the brook dries up. What season are you in? And don't feel bad for the season that you're in. And when you see other people in another season, don't get jealous. You know what you do? You say, that's an invitation what my next season can be like if I'm faithful in this season. Because we're all caught up in God's circle and his sovereignty and in his life and his relationship. And he's trying to work with us. He's trying to bring us into promised lands and promised territory and promised places. But we've got to be the thing and not just say the thing. God wants to bring us into places where our character is being molded and changed. And most of the times, the only way to do that 
is to send people and situations in our life that show us we're not in control. And if you're like me, you love being in control. Right? Because it feels good to know that I can manipulate and control and make things happen the way I want them to happen. But to let go and let God. And be subject to the life and the provision that he gives. Well, that's going to take some trust. That's going to take some trust. It's going to take some, some deep probing. We're, we're going to land this thing, okay? When Noah was... I love what the Bible says about Noah. Um, but it says that God looked everywhere for like a righteous person. And only this one guy pops up. Noah. And it doesn't even say that his family was righteous. It just says he was. So when God sees this righteous man, Noah, and I think the righteousness, and we learn this from Abraham later on down the pike, but righteousness is accounted to somebody because they believed, not because they did anything. So we misinterpret Noah and think, man, he must have been on the up and up and maybe not. He was just foolish enough that God knew if he spoke, he would actually listen. Yeah. So it was accounted under Abraham righteousness because he believed. What did he do? He believed what God said and he went out in it. So the same righteousness there is accounted unto Noah. There's one guy on the earth that I can tell something crazy to and he'll do it. So Noah builds, builds the ark and, and all this happens and God floods the earth. The wickedness is great. And it's just, it's just, a, what a, it's just a crazy time to be alive. Okay. And Noah and his family come out of this boat. And before they do, he sends a dove out, right? And this dove brings back this olive branch, right? It's like this statement that, you know, the dove is representative of the Holy Spirit. And this olive branch is like the anointing, uh, the sign of victory. And it's kind of like the Holy Spirit brings back a word of the anointing is still alive. My plan is still going forward. Uh, it looks like everything's dead around you. And everything's all messed up. But, but actually, I, I'm doing something. I'm, I'm working behind the scenes here to orchestrate something. So Noah gets showed something beautiful as a covenant with humanity. And it says something unique. It says that God sends a rainbow so that God would remember the covenant that he has with the earth. Okay? So the rainbow is not necessarily a sign for us. It's a sign that God would remember the promises that he spoke over us. Okay? So, I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. And I'm like, but God, why did you leave me there? Because there's always more to the story when God leads you somewhere, okay? So I'm like, a rainbow is kind of a half circle. Yeah, it's it's like a half circle. 
So then I do what any intelligent person does. I Google. <laughs> Google's a verb now. So I Google it and find National Geographic Resource. The problem with the rainbow, the reason why it looks like a half circle, is because you're only on one half of the horizon. That there's an anti-solar point to the rainbow, and that if you get up high enough in an airplane, it's actually a circle. <sighs> Come on. I'm like, thank you, God. Thank you for Google and National Geographic and smart people. Because they just confirm how smart and beautiful you are, God. Yeah. So it's like, here comes judgment, and then God's like, I'm going to make a circle to show you you're not outside of my circle. <laughs> no matter what you've done, there's still an opportunity for blessing if you'll step out of your circle and step into my circle. It's like this. The rainbow is like God saying, you're still my bride. Come on. It's like God saying, I'm still in covenant with you. I know I had to send some judgment to shake you up a little bit because you got too hard-headed and you begin to get too proud and boastful about your life and your sin. So I sent that judgment in to shake you up to just so I could say, hey, hey, I hadn't forgot about you. I had to take you to that point because you never would have been ready to receive the covenant. But now that you're in this place of brokenness, now that you're in this place of judgment, now that you're in this low place, I can extend my covenant out to you. And it's not a rainbow, it's a rain circle. Next time somebody says, come look at this rainbow, you say, no, that's a rain circle. That's God's covenant with us. It's his covenant. So now when I see a rain circle, I, I go like this. Yeah, God. I'm yours, God. What did the prodigal son get from the father? Come on. What is a ring? It was authority and family status. Yeah, God, I receive it. I receive it. The next time the devil tries to tell you something else, you just get that ring of covenant from God and you punch it down into that wet wax and you just show them the name of God and the authority that's on your words and on your life and you show them that's who I am. That's who I am. Man. He's so good. He's just so good. God, we thank you, Lord. 